Good morning, everyone. How are we all doing? Okay, all right. Note to self, cut five minutes out of the sermon today. Welcome back to your regularly scheduled programming uh, here at All Souls. Uh, For the last few years, we have begun each fall with a vision series where we give kind of a sense of the unique uh, call that we believe God has given to us as a congregation. A couple years ago, we did this by launching our vision frame, which uh, we've got a, a picture of that that'll come up here in just a second. Uh, through a series that described our mission, our vision, and our values. Don't worry about trying to read all that. It's just a little memory jog for you this morning. A uh, short and simple version of that is that we are a community committed to practicing the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things. We long to be a community rooted in scripture, community, practice and hope. And then last year we spent seven weeks uh, going through the marks that name the end goals of our life together so that we can be a hopeful sign of the kingdom in the world. We believe that God is shaping us to be a community of grace in a culture of judgment, a community of rest in a culture of exhaustion, a community of engagement in a culture of distraction, a community of contribution in a culture of consumption, and a community of reconciliation in a culture of division. Uh, For those of you who are new uh, or have only been with us for a little while, those are just the kind of things that are in both the foreground and the background of how and why we do things the way that we do at All Souls. Some of them are deeply ingrained parts of our DNA. Others of them have required us to stretch and grow new muscles, keeping in step with the spirit. But our hope is that these aren't just like, you know, words superimposed over a cool image that we can slide up on our wall or, you know, categories that we can shoehorn your experiences into to make a social media post or something like that. We hope that instead they are living expressions of the hope and grace that God is bringing to flourish in and through us. So over the next three weeks, uh, I want to focus on the midground, kind of the things that are the picture in the middle of the frame. John, if you'd go back to that, that last slide. Um, uh, there's three themes that have kind of come up uh, and are wrestling with uh, this vision frame over the last couple of years so that our elders and staff have you know, prayerfully and thoughtfully arrived at as the shape of what renewal looks like. Uh, think of them as kind of like the picture in the middle of that frame. We're practicing the way of Jesus together for the renewal of our community, for the renewal of future generations, for the renewal of our city. And over the next three weeks, we kind of just want to launch into that, uh, what it means with, with fresh eyes to love and serve our community well, and all of the beauty and the brokenness of our city and all the beauty and brokenness inside of ourselves, so that we can participate in the reality of things looking here as they do in heaven. But before we get to all that, I want to just kind of do a, a big picture overview of what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus, to arrange our lives together in such a way as to allow the Spirit to shape us to be with Jesus, to form us to become like Jesus, and then send us out to bear the image of Jesus out in the world. That is our vision of what it means to practice the way of Jesus together. And with that, I want to invite Leslie to come and read scripture. And I want to invite all of you to assume the posture 
of one who is hearing God's word spoken to you. Join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts to receive God's holy word. Mighty God, reveal to us the wisdom of your living word. Fill this place with the power of your presence conveyed in the gospels. Help us rest in your eternal life, hope in your resurrection, and trust your words and teaching preserved for us in these holy scriptures. Amen. Our reading is from Luke 9, verses 23 to 25. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Leslie. One of my favorite people in seminary was a guy named Diogenes Allen. Uh, he taught a class called Prolegomena to Theology. Um, and just a little side note, when I, we found out that Jill was pregnant, um, just for a brief moment, I floated the idea out there. Do you remember this? What if we named him Diogenes? <laughs> That's about how she reacted as well. She's like, why did I marry you? What is your deal here? Uh, now, he was not one of my favorites because of his warm pastoral approach to the, being a professor. He actually had this kind of reputation as a get-off-my-lawn kind of guy. Um, I approached him once before class, and he just about ripped my head off. Privately, he was very kind. He would give you all kinds of time. Uh, but one day he told this story about how his wife was a member of a silent auction committee at uh, the school fair that their kids went to. And part of what was being auctioned off were various services that, you know, the elite Princeton crowd could offer. Uh, one member volunteered to examine uh, an investment portfolio. Another offered his services as an ophthalmologist. Uh, one couple offered to, uh, you know, give their spacious home and serve as host and hostess to anyone who wanted to have a party. And when it came to his wife Jane's turn, there was this noticeable pause because everybody knew that he had served as a pastor and now was serving as a seminary professor of philosophy. And so in a very matter-of-fact way, Jane said that her husband would be glad to give to the highest bidder an assessment of his or her spiritual condition and that's basically how people reacted as well. The room burst into laughter. He did too, because it seemed, you know, somehow crazy in this elite, largely secular social setting to A, assume that people have a spiritual condition, and B, that someone has the uh, capability of examining it as one would audit, you know, investments or conduct an eye exam. But over time, that started to kind of bug him. I mean, we live in this age of fitness trackers and more analytical tools at our disposal to diagnose our physical, our mental health than ever before. And somehow the life of the spirit is shrouded in mystery. Now we all care about how we are progressing through life, 
but the way that we measure it is often unreliable. I mean, normally we think about either the ascent or God forbid the descent of our career. We think about what we have achieved or what we have enabled our kids to achieve maybe. Uh, what and how we are going to be recognized by others as what, by what we have mastered or you know, uh, some skill that we have whether we have enough in retirement, those kinds of things. And hear me out, none of that stuff in and of itself is bad, but the truth is, and we all know this, nobody really measures a life that way. When all is said and done in the final analysis, that's not what we think is most important. I watched an ESPN documentary on the former major league pitcher, Nolan Ryan, a little while ago. I mean, guy was an absolute boss, right? Just, here's just three of his current 51 major league records. 5,714 career strikeouts, almost 1,000 more than the next guy down the list. Seven career no-hitters, three more than the next guy down the list. Two of those no-nos came in one season. The last one came when he was 44 years old which is absolutely insane. I mean, I about had my arm fall off this summer just throwing batting practice to my kid, right? His lowest career batting average was sitting at 204, which means that eight out of every 10 times, people did not get a hit off of him. Crazy, crazy impressive career. That was not the thing that impressed me. The thing that did is that he is still married to his high school sweetheart, he took a pay cut and moved to a non-competitive team at the height of his career just so he could live in the same neighborhood as his kids. His grandkids seemed to have some idea that their gampy was like an absolute menace on the mound, but they knew him as the guy who was always there for them, always has time for them, always makes it to all of their games, who takes them fishing, who lives a generous and modest life life. And I, I, it struck me because, you know, I've done a lot of funerals in my day, uh, thankfully not a whole lot within the last three years, but I have never in all of the time that I've done it heard adult children get up and say, you know, my mom was completely emotionally absent and never came to any of my band performances, but I am so glad she prioritized killing it in the boardroom. And man, that lady could pick out a scotch. That's not what people say. They want to talk about how the kindness, the grace, the compassion, the thousand different ways that she reflected love. In other words, they want to talk about what kind of person are we becoming. You can be a successful fill-in-the-blank, doctor, lawyer, teacher, Uber driver, whatever it is. But when all is said and done, did you become more patient, joyful, kind, generous, hopeful? Were you the kind of person whose life was marked by love that poured itself out in acts of grace? The thing that I loved about Dr. Allen is that he was really aware of his reputation, both as a brilliant and distinguished analytic philosopher and as a bit of a terror. 
And so he spent the last couple decades of his life not caring about how he could further his academic reputation. He poured himself into the obscure field of spiritual theology, writing about the disciplines, the practices of the early church. And along with that, he turned his analytical mind inward and focused on how can he become a person whose life is marked by love. He opened himself more and more to the life of the spirit, shaping the interior castle of his heart and his mind so that he could look more and more like Jesus. That time that he ripped my head off in class, he came up to me at the break and said, I'm really sorry. I still get flustered before I start lectures. I did not mean to be so unkind. What did you want to talk to me about? And he had on the wall of his, uh, of his, of his office next to the diplomas from Oxford and Yale, this quote from Teresa of Avila, the most important thing is not to think much, but to love much. How do we change? Well, we have to have a vision of a better life that's available in Jesus. And we pursue that life through the means and practices that we see Jesus himself engaging in. And that is important because formation is simply a fact of human existence. We are being shaped all the time. In his book, Invitation to the Journey, uh, Robert Mulholland makes this point really clearly when he writes this. Spiritual formation is not an option. The inescapable conclusion is that life itself is a process of spiritual development. The only choice we have is whether that growth moves us toward wholeness in Christ or toward an increasingly dehumanized and destructive mode of being. Think about this, every thought we hold on to, every action, every emotion that shapes our behavior, uh, every relationship that we enter into, the media we consume, the, re the reactions we have toward things that impose upon our lives, by one degree or another, all of these things are shaping us into a particular kind of person. And we know that this is true, but in the day-to-day -day trenches of everyday life, we often forget to ask that most basic question, who or what is shaping me? And is that thing drawing me closer to or further from the life of the kingdom as described by Jesus of Nazareth? That really is a central question of the spiritual life. When Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me, he is saying that you need to hang up your agenda or the agenda of whatever influencer, partisan commentator, cultural regime, spiritual podcaster, or even your own pastor and trade it in for his I read something a couple weeks ago that, that struck me. Uh, the word Christian is used three times in the New Testament, but the word disciple is used 268 times. And here's how I think that maps onto our religious landscape because the word Christian has become as much a political or cultural category as anything else. A Christian tends to be somebody who agrees with Jesus' theory about sin and salvation and, and consciously even identifies with that theory. But a disciple is somebody who has the audacity to chase down and then spend all of their life with the implications of that theory and how they penetrate into every aspect of their life. The thing is you can know something, but do you trust what you know enough to do something about it? 
Discipleship begins in response to Jesus' call to follow me, to say yes to this life, which requires me to ditch my own agenda and trust that the one that Jesus has is better, more true, more beautiful and good than all of the others on offer. It is a continual process, more like a journey toward a place than it is like an event. And Jesus himself embodied that. He called his disciples to walk with him all throughout Galilee, crisscrossing the hills and valleys and lakes. And he compared the life of discipleship to a road or a way. We read this in Matthew's gospel. Enter through the narrow gates, for wide is the gate and broad is the road, or some translations say broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life, and only a few find it. In describing this life of discipleship as a way, he's, he's drawing on this common image of the day. The, the word we translate as road is the same word in the ancient Near East that they would have seen all over the place as these Roman roads started p- picking themselves up and being uh, transposed all throughout the kingdom. This thing called a, a way or a, a via that marked and, and dotted the, the landscape connecting all of the roads back to Rome. And literally, it means a path or a road from one place to another. But over the years in the early church, it also became this kind of a word picture for life. It describes movement toward a well-ordered life of connection to and abiding in Jesus. We are invited to walk that road in apprenticeship to him. And you'll notice for Jesus, there is more than one road on offer. There is a a path of life that you can journey down that leads to pain and heartbreak and destruction. There are many such paths. It's a broad path and all of the cultural currents of whatever system you are in will index your heart toward that path. But then he says there's a whole other way and it leads to life and renewal. And it kind of begs the question, is Jesus talking about the future? Is he talking about the present? And the short answer is, yeah. Yeah, he's saying that there is a continuity between the path that you choose now and the kind of person you will become. There is continuity between the the discipleship journey that you begin with him now and the life that you have in the age to come. And the way of Jesus is just that. It is a way of life. As one spiritual writer put it, it is the process of being shaped into the image of Jesus for the sake of others. It's not simply a theory about how the world works, though it definitely will involve transforming your mind. It's not simply about making sure that you check some things off and don't check off other things on some sort of like ethical rule book. Although it's clear that in Jesus' life and teaching that there are some things that we do, some bodily habits that we form, some desires that take hold of us that shape our hearts. Some of them shape us toward flourishing, others shape us toward misery. But apprenticeship to Jesus, discipleship, it is this whole life reorientation to patterning our lives, our hearts, our souls, our minds after the one who described himself as the way the truth, the life. All right, so how do we live this life of Jesus? 
Well, the invitation that Jesus gives us is to be with him, to become like him, so that we can bear his likeness in the world. Just a quick word on each. Be with Jesus. 18th century poet William Blake wrote, we become what we behold. And so the starting place for devotion to God and movement into his kingdom is simply to set our attention on Jesus' presence through the Holy Spirit. This classic image in John's gospel is of uh, abiding in the vine. And here at All Souls, we talk a lot about the spiritual practices because we believe that the primary ways that we live out being with Jesus is through engaging in community and engaging with that community in spiritual practices. If you've been here for a while, over the last few years, we've done deep dives on things like Sabbath and prayer and scripture, these, these things that open up the mind and the body to become aware of the Spirit's presence, these embodied habits, these time-tested spiritual paths that we walk upon have a way of shaping our hearts and, and, and training our minds to turn back to God wherever you are, be that, you know, running between a meeting and a Zoom call in India. Maybe not a Zoom call in India, a Zoom call with India, just to be clear. Uh, whether or not that means you are you know, shuttling kids between piano practices and basketball practice or whatever it is so that you can have a heart posture rooted in an awareness of an experience of the triune God. So if you're new to faith, if you're, if you're new around here, that's kind of what we're about. It's the first thing, being with Jesus, carving out those times, morning, day, night, whenever it is, times to abide, to be rooted in him, to be present to yourself, to be present to God, to be present to others. And so if you are not in community, please let us know. We would love to get you connected. Because as you spend time with Jesus and as you spend time with others who are also spending time with Jesus, you become like the people that you are spending your time with. And out of that place of being present with Jesus, the next thing is to become like Jesus. That's what we mean by spiritual formation. I love how the writer Ruth Haley Barton puts it. She says this, choosing a way of life that opens us to the presence of God in the places of our being where our truest desires and deepest longings stir. Taking on the things that we see in the life of Jesus, patterning our lives after him. My son Graham uh, has been playing baseball for a while. He just turned 14. I got his permission to use him as an example, which you have to do as your kids get older. Uh, he had this great season. Um, it, it was kind of a, an inflection point, though, in, in his life. Uh, he has this vision of life, and it includes playing baseball as long as he can. Uh, and so we sat down with Mike a little while ago. Mike was a lineman at Georgia Tech. He knows a little bit about training, about coaching, about conditioning, all that stuff. And the three of us just sat down. We talked about life. We talked about baseball. We talked about how God has wired him as a 14-year-old. And Mike made the point that by itself, having a vision of a kind of life is not enough to produce that kind of life. You gotta have a plan. You gotta do drills. You gotta figure out how to locate fastballs. You have to develop a training regimen to gain flexibility, to gain agility, to gain quickness. 
But even then, you can do all that. You can have all the research. You can have all the lists. It's got to then be paired with intention. You got to lean into it. You got to commit yourself to doing what it takes even when you don't want to. You got to somehow learn how to love the work. If you want the life, you got to take on the lifestyle. And essentially, that's what the role of spiritual practices are in the life of faith. Joining what we know about Jesus with the things that we see Jesus doing, with the rhythms of his life. As Dallas Willard said, as I've, I've quoted many times, grace is opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort. You gotta train yourself into a new way of being. So Jesus is inviting us to learn from him, to take on his lifestyle, and in the process to open ourselves up to the spirit, to shift our patterns of thought, to shift our desires, to even shift our emotions. And last, the whole point of discipleship is to do the things that Jesus did. Some of you have done internships, have done apprenticeships, have you know, clerked for a judge or something like that. If you're an apprentice to a carpenter, right? Your, your goal is to be able to build a pretty dang good table. If you are a photographer, you want to apprentice yourself to somebody who you really appreciate their, their composition, their, the way that they shape light, all those things. You want to basically find somebody who you want to look like. You want to emulate them. And if you're an apprentice to Jesus, then your goal is eventually to be the, about the things that Jesus was about, and Jesus' life work was bringing the reign and the rule of heaven to earth. We spent a long time going over Mark's gospel over the years. We've seen Jesus do this by confronting the spiritual powers that oppressed people. He healed the sick. He prayed over people. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. He sat at the table and broke bread with people who were far away from that kingdom. Practicing the way of Jesus looks like doing these things in whatever vocation you find yourself in. And it takes time. It takes community. But the end goal of your formation is to become the kind of person whose life is moment by moment, sometimes in starts, sometimes in fits for sure, but year after year begins to look more and more like Jesus. So be with Jesus, be formed like Jesus, bear his likeness in the world, however you wanna say it, that is what we mean when we say practicing the way of Jesus. But here's the thing. We practice in order to be shaped in the image of Jesus for the sake of others. It is not about us. We do this, we, we practice the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things and renewal carries us out into the world. So over the next couple of weeks, we want to talk about what that means for us in this particular moment of our life as a church, some things that we're going to kind of look at and focus on over the next couple of years of our life together. And the first thing is we're practicing the way of Jesus for the renewal of our community. People who are committed to the way of Jesus, who serve as an alternative community to that of our hurting city. We, we believe that there is a way of life in Jesus that leads to our flourishing and from that flourishing it pours out into the world. And so in the coming weeks, for instance, we're gonna dive deep into the practice of simplicity in community groups. And I gotta tell you, this particular practice, more than some of the others, has been messing with me. 
Because it's all about our relationship and our addiction to stuff. I made a goal about a month and a half ago not to buy another book for a year. And that, I mean, that's like kryptonite for me. Some of you are like, dude, I haven't bought a book since 2013. Like, what's the big deal? I'm like, eh, we, we all got our things, right? If somebody asked me afterwards, like, you got a backlog, right? I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm fine. Yeah, it's, it's, it's maybe a bit of an addiction. I, no, no lie. But it's all about this relationship that we have, our addiction to stuff. How are we going to break, break free from the kind of narcotic pull that, that, that this desire to acquire more has on us? Well, in order to do that, we need community. We need others who are also making hard decisions about what it looks like to follow Jesus. We need them for encouragement. We need them for hope. We want you to be in community. One of the things we learned over the course of the pandemic is that, surprise, surprise, Sunday mornings are not enough. Uh, we need to be in each other's lives throughout the week. Secondly, we believe that we are called to practice the way of Jesus for the renewal of future generations. Sociologists have long been pointing out that the number of young Americans who do not identify with any religion is growing at a rapid pace. But they're also quick to note that it's not necessarily because these young people don't believe in God. Or, or think negatively of Jesus. It's that they just assume the church is not a place where they can get close to God or, or tackle the, the many immense questions of meaning that they are asking. And so we believe that God is calling us to be a community that invests in the lives of young people and creates space for them to belong. There is a sign-up sheet for children's ministry out there. <laughs> Got to turn the screw a little bit there. And last, we believe that we are practicing the way of Jesus for the renewal of our city. Throughout the pages of the Bible, uh, a consistent image of life in the age to come is a flourishing city where needs are met, where, where violence and injustice are a distant memory. And we believe that God is calling us to deeper engagement with some of our great mission partners, many of whom are doing the kind of work that you heard Kendra and Benjamin talk about this summer. So we want to lean into all of that, and please hear me out. Not everything all at once. I'm not asking you to take on a life in which you are going to be busy and give every free moment to the church. One of the reasons we are starting with simplicity is because a lot of this is going to require us to say no to a lot of things in our lives. But it's also going to require us to shape our lives around the rhythms of the Spirit's work in us, to set your mind on God and with your body to engage in the things that Jesus did. Otherwise, you will be unintentionally shaped by all of the things around you and they'll win the day. The stories we believe, the habits we fall into. But at heart, discipleship is about arranging your life to experience the joy of God. That is what Jesus has for you. For us as a community, it is nothing less than life. Let us pray. Almighty God, you have created us for yourself so that everything we are might love you with everything that we have. 
And so as this time in the fall, when everything begins ramping up and when life seems crazy and chaotic, we pray that you would give us a vision of a life in which we may slow down to be with you so that we might become like you, so that we can bear your image out in the world doing the things that you did. God, we pray that as we surrender to your love, you can shape us into a people who year after year are becoming more and more like you for your glory, for our joy. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen.